0: About a month ago, in episode 1105, we talked about the absolute sovereignty of God, uh, that God is finally and decisively in control of everything, from the farthest galaxy to the smallest subatomic particle and to all the actions of human beings. And we talked about how this transforms our daily lives. That was in episode 1105. But what if all the same theology works in the other direction? While the absolute sovereignty of God over all things seems to make some believers more energetic, ambitious, and determined to reach the nations with the gospel, this same sovereignty also seems to make other believers more apathetic, withdrawn, and passive when it comes to gospel mission. So what explains this difference? It's a question today from a listener named Brian who seems to find himself more and more indifferent in his life. He writes this, Pastor John, I need your help. The deeper I think I understand God's sovereignty, the more it seems to fuel my own personal apathy. What is wrong with me?
1: Brian, let me sketch four kinds of responses to the sovereignty of God, and you see where you might fit in. Then and I'll, and I'll tell you why I'm doing this. This might help answer the problem. I'm assuming here that when we talk about the sovereignty of God, we are referring to his total control of all things, like the roll of the dice in every human game, Proverbs 16.33, or like the fall of every bird from the from the branches in the forest in every jungle in the world, Matthew 10.29, as Jesus said. So that's my assumption about the definition of the sovereignty of God. Now, there are two there are two ways to reject it and two ways to accept it. And that's what I mean by my four ways of responding. The two ways to reject this are one, reject the sovereignty of God because deep down the reality itself as it really exists in the world is ugly or abhorrent to you. This is, this is real rebellion against God. So that's number one. The other way to reject the sovereignty of God, is to have a conception of it that is distorted, unbiblical, and thus see it as genuinely antithetical to true bibl- a, a true biblical picture of God. So you can see that the first way of rejecting the sovereignty of God is rooted in a deep-seated rebellion against God, while the second way Of rejecting the sovereignty of God may in fact coexist with a humble, regenerate heart that for various reasons doesn't see the true biblical nature of the sovereignty of God as it is taught in Scripture, or perhaps has some distorted notions about other attributes that he's trying to make it fit with, so that they can't see God's sovereignty any other way than being at odds with the picture of God they have in the Bible. I want to cut those people slack and say until they get their thoughts sorted out, they may be deeply humble and regenerate people. Then, here are the other two. There are two ways of embracing the total sovereignty of God. One is to see it for what it really is as taught in the scriptures and to love it and see it uh, as beautiful in proportion to all the other things taught in scripture. Not that every question is answered or every mystery removed, but according to the limits of our own understanding, the sovereignty of God and his other attributes are not contradictory. Now that, in my judgment, is is the ideal way of embracing the sovereignty of God. But another way of embracing it is to see uh, that it is taught in the Scripture and to see some of its implications and to admit that this is in fact the truth that the Bible teaches, but to embrace it with a heart that's not fully docile or Teachable or submissive to the whole counsel of God in Scripture. In other words, a person may be riveted on the doctrine of sovereignty while either being neglectful of other important biblical teachings or maybe even indifferent to those other teachings or resistant to them. My human heart, your human heart is very corrupt. All of us struggle with a kind of selective set of emphases in the Bible that we like more than others, and we must constantly be humbling ourselves before the whole counsel of God so that we are submissive to all that God teaches, not just some of it. Now, I don't know Brian well enough to pass any judgment on where he fits into these categories, And no doubt they're too simplistic to explain all the ways we relate to the sovereignty of God. But I mention them because it might help Brian if he asks whether he might be in this fourth category. That's my gut sense. In other words, he may be persuaded of the sovereignty of God as he sees it in the Bible, but his heart is not totally submitted to all of Scripture, and there are emotional hesitancies that keep him from rejoicing over certain teachings. I ask, why is it that some people, hearing the news that God is sovereign over the battlefield, plunge in with great abandon and risk their lives for the cause of God and truth, precisely because he reigns, while others... React with fatalism and lethargy, and, and passively say, "Well, what will be, would be, and will be, will be." And they don't, they don't go in. Why is that? Why do, why do we respond differently like that? And my suggestion is that the passive, fatalistic, lethargic people have hearts that are resistant to what the Bible teaches on certain other matters. And this resistance keeps them from rejoicing over those teachings and being motivated by them. And what I have in mind specifically, though others may apply, what I have in mind specifically are passages that explicitly teach us not to be passive, but active and energetic and hardworking and resolved to do good, not in spite of the sovereignty of God over our lives, but because of it. For example, and, and Brian, my encouragement is that when I read these texts, that you and all the rest of us pray, be praying that you would be thrilled by them, thrilled by them. That's what's missing, a being thrilled by the text that I'm about to read. Philippians 2.12, work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who is at work in you to will and to work his good pleasure. In other words, the sovereign work of God in us does not replace our working. It energizes our working. Do you love this truth, Brian? Does that thrill you? That's taught in the Bible. It's true. It's wonderful. First Corinthians 15.10 By the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. In other words, the presence and sovereign power of God's grace working in me does not disincline me to work, but inspires me and empowers me to work. Brian. When you hear this, do you rejoice? You say, yes, yes. That's a glorious, God-revealed, biblical truth. I love that truth. Colossians 1.29. For this I toil, struggling with all the energy that he powerfully works within me. In other words, God's energy in Paul was experienced by him as a tremendous surge of his own energy. And finally, First Corinthians 3, six, I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the growth. So, neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants, he who waters are one, and each will receive. Are you kidding me? Wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. In other words, God's decisive role in growing his church inflamed Paul and Apollos to be about the planting and watering. So, my suggestion is that one reason why embracing the sovereignty of God produces courage and energy and humble, risk-taking love, and some other people experience it as apathy, my suggestion is that this dimension of biblical truth that I just read hasn't sunk in yet. Either um, it hasn't been seen, which can't be said anymore. (laughs) I just read it. Or it has been seen and has not been thrilling for some reason. It's been resisted. And I would encourage Brian to pray over these texts until he is thrilled by the prospect that God Almighty, with all his sovereignty, is going to work with Brian, in Brian, as Brian works by faith in
0: him. Yeah. Amen. May God's sovereignty thrill our souls and fill up our energy and ambition in serving the good news of our savior. Brian, thank you for the honest question. And, uh, pastor John, thank you for the response and listener. Thank you for listening, making this podcast part of your day and your commute and part of your week. Three times a week we publish and you can subscribe to our audio feeds and search our past episodes in our archive and even reach us by email with a question you may have of your own. Do all of that through our online home at DesiringGod.org forward slash Ask Pastor John. I am your host, Tony Rehnke. We'll see you back here on Friday.